today, we're going to journey again. We're going to join Jesus again as we go through Mark. Our journey with Jesus through Mark is nearly complete. If you've been here the whole time, you know we've been in, in Mark for 18 months. At the beginning of Mark, Jesus burst on the scene announcing that the kingdom of God was at hand, further calling people to repent and believe in the gospel. But what's the gospel? The gospel has been the unfolding story that Mark has been communicating to us for years for people who would listen. It's the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And if our story, if, our, if the account of Mark ended before chapter 15, there would be no good news to report, there would be nothing to believe in, and there would be no power for us in repentance. Without the crucifixion, without the death of Jesus, without this grisly, bloody cross, there would be no good news for us today. The good news of Jesus centers on an implement torture. It pivots around a cross. That's strange. Let's just say it right out. That is strange. Think about all the things that we don't know about Jesus that Mark has not told us. Mark did not tell us what Jesus looked like. Mark did not tell us how tall he was, or if he was bald or had hair. Mark did not tell us if he was right-handed or left-handed. Mark didn't tell us anything about the circumstances of his birth. Mark didn't tell us anything about what he was like when he was a kid. Mark didn't tell us how old he was when he walked. Mark didn't say how long it took Jesus to learn his ABCs, or how good of a carpenter he was, or what kind of brother he was, or what his favorite food was, or what his hobbies were. We know none of these things from the pen of Mark, but we know a great deal about his death. Why is that? Is that because Jesus didn't have hobbies? No. It's because if you don't understand that Jesus died and why he died, you don't know who he is. You see, it would seem that Mark's a little bit deranged or macabre to focus on the death like he does. But he's not. Jesus' death is just that important. If you don't know that Jesus died and why he died, you really don't know Jesus. Now, that's not the way we get to know anybody else. Jesus is unique. Who else can we say, if you don't know how they died, you don't really know who they are? Mark wants us to understand that we don't know Jesus unless we know that he died and why he died. Earlier in the book, Mark reports Jesus' very own words on why he had to die. He said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, Son of Man is a name uh, he gives himself for Jesus, for himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died as a ransom. He died as a substitute. You don't know Jesus unless you understand that he died as a replacement. He died as a stand-in. He died as a proxy. He died as a substitute. This is something we need to know about him, and this is something we need to know so that we can apply it for ourselves. Jesus died a substitute. Let's join Jesus again in Jerusalem. Now, last time we were with him, we were ushered into an illegal nighttime trial amongst the malicious hands of the Jewish authorities, and they branded Christ a blasphemer and 
condemned him to death. The one problem was that the, 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 the Jewish authorities were living in Roman territory and they had no jurisdiction when it came to capital crimes. So they had to go to the, Roman, the local Roman official to get the go-ahead to kill Jesus. So we're going to pick up the story at first light. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he, being Pilate, used to release for them, being the Jews, one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. First, Jesus is brought to Pilate. We read about this in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Mark's first words are, as soon as it was morning, which is a miracle in and of itself. If you think about it, Jesus had resources <clears throat> at his disposal that we do not have. He could have stopped the sun from rising. He could have stopped that morning from coming. He could have delayed that day, but he did not. Dawn broke just like everybody expected. And the Jewish authorities ushered the man Jesus um, to, uh, to, to the person Mark introduces to us as Pilate. Now, his, first, his full name is Pontius Pilate, or it was Pontius Pilate, and he served as the Roman prefect, which is kind of like a governor, over Jerusalem and some surrounding territory. Pilate's main job was to keep peace in this little Roman province. And it was very difficult because the Jewish authorities were always needling Pilate. You need to understand <clears throat> that these Jewish authorities hated Pilate. They hated for all he stood for. They hated that they were forced to take Jesus to him. If they had the chance, they would kill him. It speaks to how much these authorities hate Jesus that they would need to take him to Pilate. So they hated Pilate, but they really hated Jesus. Why? Well, remember, Jesus did not validate their religious activity and traditions. He didn't. He wasn't the Messiah they expected, so he needed to die. And Pilate had to approve. And so the Jewish authorities <coughs> put, in, 
put, put in Pilate's ears the most scandalous possible charge in the Roman mind. Verse 2, Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? Being Messiah, that's no crime in Rome. That is no crime. Pilate doesn't care one bit about the Old Testament or the promises of a Messiah. But a king to challenge the authority of Caesar, that, now you're talking. Now you're talking about something that's going to spook the Romans. The only real crime Rome cared about was treachery against the state. So these Jewish authorities, these Jewish leaders, are trying to paint Jesus with revolutionary colors. They're trying to make him sound like a subversive agent that lives to sabotage and undermine Rome. They're trying to make Jesus out as an enemy of the state. Pilate, he's no fool. This isn't his first rodeo. He knew these guys. He knew, their, he knew the Jewish authorities. And he knew that they didn't give two figs about peace in the Roman state. He knew they were trying to frame Jesus. Here's Jesus' chance. I mean, here's his chance. Look at verse 2 again. Are you the king of the Jews? And look at Jesus' response. And he answered him, You have said so. What kind of answer is that? What? It's kind of like saying, says you. Last week when the Jewish authorities asked him if he were Messiah, remember, chapter 14, verse 62, he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And here Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And he essentially said, that's what you said. That's not much of an answer. Was Jesus king? Yes. But not the kind of king that Pilate could understand. Jesus is, as we know, no threat to Rome. He didn't want to unseat Caesar. He had no designs to overthrow the Roman government, but his followers would one day turn the world upside down in his name. He absolutely was a king, but his kingdom would not be limited to the small Roman Empire. His kingdom would be over the whole universe for all time, and his kingdom would be forever and long outlast Rome. He had throne. He had a throne that no one could see, but it was superior to all other thrones, and one day that would be clear. So is he king of the Jews? You've said so, but he's also king of the universe. And with that response, the Jewish authorities lunged at Jesus, full of invectives and accusations, all kinds of vitriol and venom spewed out there so that Pilate can see or think that this man, Jesus, is some kind of vulgar outlaw, and he makes no answer. And Pilate's amazed. Look at verse 4. You, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. He's amazed at the silence Jesus gives in response to the taunting Jewish authorities. 800 years before, Isaiah the prophet said this is exactly how it's going to go down. Isaiah 53, he, being Jesus, was oppressed. He was afflicted. And, he, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What's Isaiah saying? This Jesus is not going to defend himself. He is going to be a substitute. Now at this point, Pilate is faced with a dilemma. He knew that he couldn't just say to the Jewish authorities, they're too powerful. They had, they had the crowd behind them a little bit. He knew he couldn't just say, listen, you guys are framing him I'm just going to let him go. Pilate wanted Jesus to defend himself so it could make his life easier, 
So he could say, listen, I've heard his defense. He's not guilty. But Jesus doesn't say anything. Pilate understood that he was being used to get rid of Jesus. And so what Pilate did, because Jesus wouldn't defend himself, is that he appealed to a higher court. He he appeared, he appeared to the crowd and appealed to them to gain amnesty for Jesus. He tries to go over the heads of the Jewish authorities because they know that if the crowds are against them, they've got nothing. So we had Jesus before Pilate. Now Pilate brings Jesus to the crowd. A little background. It's Passover time. The biggest celebration in any Jewish year. And at Passover, each year, Pilate, the Roman prefect, would liberate one Jewish prisoner. So a crowd of people amass in front of Pilate's residence, and they begin to ask for this annual favor. Pilate comes out and says, Do you want me, verse 9, to release for you the king of the Jews? This is his plan. Jesus wouldn't cooperate. Jesus wouldn't make his life any easier. But the Jewish authorities, but, so let's appeal to the crowd. Surely they're going to realize this Messiah, who you know, seems to be well-loved by all kinds of people, surely they're going to say, yeah, let him go. But Mark tells us about someone else. Someone else enters the scene in verse 7. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. So who's Barabbas? Barabbas is a real rebel to Roman authority. Barabbas is a murderer. Barabbas is a bona fide insurgent. Barabbas is a guerrilla fighter. Barabbas hates Rome and wants the Roman yoke gone. And in fact, he was willing to... To fight for it. Now remember, Rome takes seriously any crimes against Rome. And in the eyes of Rome, Barabbas was guilty and worthy of capital punishment. He was a rebel against Roman rule. He was a Jew and fought and murdered trying to throw off Roman rule. So it comes down between a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. What had Jesus done? He was accused of being a rebel without actually doing anything against Rome. Barabbas, he really was a revolutionary that wanted to throw off Roman oppression. If he had to murder, that's fine. Who should be chosen between the two? The revolutionary or the rabbi? The murderer or the miracle worker? The rebel or the redeemer? It's easy. That's what Pilate thought. But, verse 11, the chief priests... They stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Even in the age before social media, there were mobs. This one's just in real life and not virtual. Pilate says, what do I do? And they cried out again, verse 13, crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Pilate says, what? evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. It would be the revolutionary saved, spared, instead of the rabbi. It would be the murderer spared instead of the miracle worker. It would be the rebel instead of the redeemer. (coughs) Interestingly, Barabbas translated into English means son of the father. So we might say Barabbas son of the father is released instead of 
Jesus, the Son of God the Father. Jesus became the substitute, the stand-in, the proxy, the replacement. The Son of the Father Most High would die instead of Barabbas, Son of the Father. Jesus substituted for a criminal. Jesus instead of Barabbas. Pilate's plan backfired. 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, isn't that how often playing politics goes? He released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate's power play against the Jewish authorities backfired. He played to the crowd, and they turned into a mob. We don't know what the Jewish authorities said to the crowd, but we do know how they responded to Pilate. As Pilate said, what about Jesus? They cry, crucify him. And what, Pilate said, what did they do? They cry even louder, crucify him. Now, not just, just a few days earlier at the beginning of the week, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, and he entered Jerusalem, there was a crowd shouting something very different in Mark chapter 11, verses 9 through 10. Mark reports, and those went before, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And now on Friday, a crowd is gathered around and say, Crucify him! Crucify him! Where once they were crying, Hosanna, which means save us now. Now they're crying, Crucify him! Crucify him. The crowd expected a king like David. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They're thinking Jesus should be the revolutionary. He should be the one that throws off Roman oppression. Could be that the Jewish authority said to the crowd, Jesus, he's not doing anything. Barabbas, at least he's working for us. At least he's fighting against Rome. And here's Jesus just being willing to die. At least Barabbas fights our common enemy. So the crowd chose Barabbas. And we hear, echoing down from the corridors of time, crucify him, crucify him. And that is exactly what Pilate would do. His fate was sealed. He was scourged. He was beaten. He would be led off to be crucified. But Jesus was doing something on that day more than anyone could recognize. He was freely offering himself as a substitute. See, it seems as if in this passage, Jesus is being pushed and pulled in all kinds of directions he did not want to go. But really, he is the one in control. He is the one who has come, and he does not defend himself. He allows himself to be accused and condemned. He allows himself to freely come and die and be a substitute. People in this picture, people in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, see Jesus and they have no idea what he's doing. He is offering himself actively as a substitute. Everyone we've met in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, everyone we've met this morning 
needed Jesus to be their substitute, but yet they couldn't see it. They didn't know it. They were ignorant to their need. Jesus, though, he was not. The Jewish authorities, they needed a substitute. But they wanted something different. They wanted Jesus to validate all their religious activity. They wanted wanted Jesus to be the one who validated them. You see, they imagined a Messiah who agreed with their expectations, who agreed with their view of the law, who agreed with their view of the nation, who hated Roman oppression the way they did, who, who upheld their traditions and their expectations. Instead, they get Jesus as the substitute. He couldn't be Messiah in their mind because he didn't view the law, the nation, or the Roman occupation the way they did. He would not submit to their will or give them respect. He served instead at the good pleasure of his father, but they could not tell. What they could not understand is that they needed a substitute to rescue them from all their confidence in religious traditions. They have no idea what Jesus is doing. They thought they needed a Messiah to do for them what they wanted. They had constructed an expectation, a Messiah in their own image. And that image did not include Jesus the substitute. The Jewish leaders wanted Jesus to be who they accepted. And he was busy being a substitute for people like these Jewish leaders who put confidence in their religious activities. The Jewish leaders, they needed a substitute. Pontius Pilate, he needed one too. Pilate needed a substitute. He wanted Jesus to defend himself, to make his life easier, to make him popular. Pilate's main job was to keep the peace and keep these zealous Jews at bay. His life would be a whole lot less less complicated if Jesus just stepped up and defended his own innocence. That way, Pilate would not be put in the awkward and challenging position of defending Jesus before a crowd calling out, crucify him. That is a losing proposition. Pilate did not understand that, that Jesus would be defended. He would let his father defend him. He would be defended. Not in that moment being rescued from death. Actually, the defense that Jesus would have would be the defense after dying as a substitute. His father would present the ultimate defense by calling him back from the dead. And he was content content to let that defense be the final defense. Pilate wanted to be popular. He wanted his life to be easier. But Jesus was busy being a substitute for people like Pilate who want to be popular and have an easier life. Jewish leaders, they wanted Jesus to validate all their religious activity. Pilate, he wanted Jesus to make his life easier and to make him popular. For both, he was busy being a substitute. The crowd, the crowd, they needed a substitute as well. But they want a revolutionary to overthrow Roman oppression. They wanted someone to fight and throw off the yoke of Roman oppression. They wanted Jesus to be a David-like figure to restore their nation to past glory. Instead, we see Jesus the substitute. What they did not understand or grasp was that Jesus was dying a death instead of them. He was dying a substitutionary death. It appeared he was about to be conquered, but by dying, he would stand in for sinners as a substitute. And by that means, he would destroy the yoke of a far more deadly oppression than Rome, sin, than Rome and sin and death. Sin and death are far more perilous to mankind. Jesus' methods of conquering was to be conquered, to be a substitute. The crowd didn't see that. They didn't know that. Jewish authorities, they wanted Jesus to validate their religious activity, 
Pilate wanted Jesus to make his life easier and make him popular. The crowd, they wanted Jesus to be a revolutionary. The only person in our story this morning that gets exactly what he wants is Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer, and he wanted Jesus to die in his place as a substitute. And that's exactly what happened. The news that Jesus, the Nazarene, would die instead of Barabbas must have been the best thing he ever heard. Here he is, a murderer, a thief, a rebel, a revolutionary, a terrorist, set free. Son of the Father, set free. The Son of the Father who killed and murdered, shed blood. He's set free. And the Son of God the Father, he steps in. He steps in for Barabbas, the innocent condemned, the guilty set free. Jesus, the substitute, the Son of God the Father, died as a substitute so that sons and daughters of any father might go free. The innocent condemned, the guilty set free. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is not who the religious authorities expected him to be. Neither is he who Pilate wanted him to be. Neither is he who the crowd wanted him to be. He was a substitute for for Barabbas in this moment. But yet, aren't we all Barabbas? Jesus is exactly who we need him to be. He is exactly who we need him to be. If you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're not, we need to understand what's happening here. Jesus is exactly the substitute we need. Some of us are like the Jewish leaders, confident in our religious activities, expecting blessing and favor from God because we obey and do all the right things. Because we have turned a corner or turned over a new leaf or have become a better person, we expect blessing from this Jesus. But Jesus' substitution tells a different story. Jesus had to die as a substitute for all of our religious activity. Now, you might not be used to thinking about things this way, especially if you grew up in a religious or spiritual home. You probably get the fact that Jesus needed to die for your sin, but what you might not understand is that Jesus had to die for your, as a substitute for your good religious deeds because they are not good enough. Jesus had to die for your obedience. Jesus had to die for your prayers. Jesus had to die for your confessions. Jesus had to die for all your good deeds because they were insufficient. Even at our best, our most spiritual, our most religious. Whatever the brand of spirituality or religion is, even at our best, we need a substitute. Jesus is that substitute. Some of us weren't spiritual or religious. Others of us were like Pontius Pilate. They came to Jesus and he just wanted his life to be easier. 
be popular. Make it better. Jesus doesn't promise that when he enters your life and you begin to follow him that everything will immediately get better. Sometimes it doesn't. We're not free to have a little bit of Jesus in our life and sprinkle like salt over some fries to make things better. Jesus' substitution tells us that he's about much more than making our lives easier and making us popular. He is about killing death and destroying our sin. That's not just a little improvement. His substitution for us changes everything. Let's be clear. Following Jesus is hard. We should expect nothing less. We follow a crucified Savior. Yes, he rose from the dead, but our Savior was killed. So we should expect in this life that we are going to have many trials, toils, and snares. In fact, Jesus himself says, here's what it means to follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. That means you need to live a life of constant death, of dying to self, dying to preferences, dying to comforts, dying to conveniences, dying to leisure, and living to him. Jesus is a substitute. He didn't come just to make our lives a little bit easier. Maybe you weren't like the religious leaders. You weren't spiritual. You weren't religious. Maybe you weren't like the cra- uh, like Pontius Pilate looking to make your life a little bit easier. Maybe you were like the crowd. You had a really big problem, one that you can perceive, and you think you come to Jesus and you say, fix this problem. The crowd thought the greatest problem was their nation was occupied by Rome. Jesus knew better. Their greatest problem was sin, not Rome. Their greatest problem was that death was stalking them. Not just that they would cease to function in this world and their bodies would wear out, but the power of death, eternal death, was stalking them. And Jesus came as a substitute so that he might kill both sin and death. In Christ's death and resurrection, death died. The crowd thought, we want you, Jesus, be a revolutionary so that we can be free. Sometimes life is so hard that people come to Jesus and say, here's my biggest problem, fix me. And we think our problem is money, because we don't have enough. Education, because we don't have enough. Marriage, because it's not happy enough. Our kids, who knows what they're doing. Wife, husbands. Maybe it's that you're single or you're, you have some kind of ailment or you're discouraged. And you say, I need help with these challenges. Don't be talking to me about substitute. Jesus didn't die primarily to fix those things. Don't get me wrong. Following Jesus revolutionizes all those areas of our lives. But first and foremost, he is our substitute. Not only do we need help fixing ourselves, we are much more broken than we thought. That's why Jesus died as a substitute. I, as one of the many, needed him to die as a ransom for me. If you're here and a Christian, you, as one of the many, needed Jesus to die as a ransom for you. You, me, we all need a substitute. Jesus is that substitute. In fact, we're in this picture. Maybe you say, well, I'm not like the religious authorities. I'm not like Pontius Pilate. I'm not really like the crowd. I know this. All of us are like Barabbas. And you might think, well, I've never killed anybody or led an insurrection or been a terrorist. I've never murdered anybody. 
You may not have murdered somebody with your hands, but have you with your words or your eyes? If looks could kill, how many bodies would you have taken out? If motives could kill, if intentions or desires or secret agendas could kill, are we any better than Barabbas? Absolutely not. You see, we are in this picture. We're the ones set free who didn't deserve it. And Jesus is the one condemned who deserved blessing and freedom. He sees our great need and steps in. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're not peddling religion here. We're talking about Jesus. We're not saying, hey, try to obey and make your life a little bit better. We're saying, no, no, no. You need to see that this Jesus, he dies as a substitute. So the sins you commit, you don't have to pay for because he did. The death that is coming for you, you do not have to fear because he died and rose again so that any who follow him might have life everlasting. And you must decide, what will I do with this man's death? Will I just say, oh, that's interesting? Or will I say, thank you for dying for me, a substitute? Thank you for stepping in to my place because I am a murderer with my words and my deeds and my actions. I'm a murderer with my motives and intentions and desires. And I need someone to step in. And Jesus says, I will step in. You, if you're not a Christian, can have a substitute. His name is Jesus. Even though he died centuries ago, you can claim him as your substitute today. How? There's no magic words. Talk to him anywhere he hears you. You can say, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. Be my substitute. And he will. Because we're not there yet, but he doesn't stay dead. He's, still, he's alive. And he answers prayers. And if we're Christians, think about this. Here we have Jesus, our Savior, willingly going to die to be a substitute for us. Now, if, that's, if you think, well, that that's, doesn't seem too amazing, think about all the sins we've committed. And Jesus willingly saying, I will take the punishment for those. Let me be his substitute. Let me be her substitute. Let me be my substitute. Though we were Barabbases, now Christ is your substitute. Christ died in your place. You're in him. You're in him. He died as a substitute. Is he your substitute? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying. Lord, I pray for everybody here that within the sound of my voice, I pray that if there are any in this room that are not following you, I pray, Lord, that, they, that you, you would help them to follow you, Lord. I pray that they would be convicted of 
their sin, Lord, and recognize that they can't be obedient enough. But instead, you, they, they embrace you as a substitute. So, Lord, I pray that you would give them forgiveness. I pray that you would help them to recognize you're the only way. Your death is the only way they can avoid their death. For those of us that have embraced you as our substitute, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for not treating us as our sins deserve. Thank you for not defending yourself that day before Pilate. Thank you for allowing the morning to come. Thank you for standing silent as accusations that weren't true flew at you. Thank you so that we might have a substitute so that one day we might be able to stand before God and not present all of our good works, but present our Savior who died so that we might live. Lord, one day when we see you and the Father, we're going to say, He, Jesus, is my substitute. I've got nothing to offer. I have only Jesus. Jesus, I'm grateful that's enough. So I pray for any Christian in this room who's forgotten all that you've done. Wake us up, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.